Our scripture lesson for the sermon this morning as we continue studying the later portions of the book of Genesis and covering the life of Joseph. We come to chapter 47. We'll read the first 12 verses of the chapter this morning. This is the word of the Lord as he inspired Moses to write here faithfully in 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 fact, infallibly, this account of the history of God and his people is dealing with them. And so we read this morning the inspired and therefore the inerrant word of the living God, Genesis 47, verses 1 through 12. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May he bless its reading, its exposition, and its hearing. Back in chapter 45, we read of Joseph's plan for his family. Uh, He said to his brothers, You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. And last Sabbath, then, we read Joseph's words to his father's household. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. We reflected on the wisdom of Joseph's planning there, that he has the authority, as the second only to Pharaoh in authority in Egypt, to settle his family wherever he would like. And Pharaoh has been amenable to this, but he also knows that the only one who could overturn his decision is the Pharaoh, and so he wisely deals uh, with Pharaoh. 
Today we see this wise planning coming to fruition. In addition to reinforcing points we've seen previously, that Joseph's wise planning is a good example to us, for example, and uh, points to Jesus Christ, who wisely works all things for the good of his people, and that the Lord sovereignly uses even unbelieving kings for the good of his people. We also see today two important theological points from this passage. Number one, uh, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. His words, as he does so, reminds us that this world is not the home of God's covenant people. Along with that, the fact that Jacob blesses Pharaoh is an example to us. We can and should recognize and support the good that is done by civil leaders, even when those particular leaders might be unbelievers. The second theological point we see is more typology. Uh, Joseph is a type, a prefiguring, a symbol ahead of time of Christ. He foreshadows him, in particular here in this passage, as he provides for his people. We've dealt before with Joseph's pointing to Christ's general provision, but the specific words of Moses in today's passage that Joseph provided bread for his family points especially to that result of Christ's atoning work that he provides heavenly nourishment for his people. Let's look at the content of the passage. These things should come forth. Moses tells us about the outworking of Joseph's wise planning. He writes, Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. So two things are of particular note in that verse. First, the people of Israel are already in the region where Joseph has desired to settle them. Uh, We saw last week that Goshen has the advantage of being away from the general population of Egypt so that they're not getting embroiled in the paganism of the culture. Uh, It's also excellent pasture land for Israel, for their flocks and their herds, and It's the part of Egypt that's nearest to the promised land. It's the nearest to Canaan. So uh, Joseph was expecting that the Lord would keep his word and return them to Canaan. Secondly, Joseph is already hinting to Pharaoh that Goshen is where his family should remain. Remember, Moses has told us that in this period, shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. By referring to his family's flocks and herds, Uh, Joseph is not only saying they'll need grazing land, that's a practical uh, fact, but he also knows that Pharaoh will likely find it better for everyone involved uh, if Joseph's family, who includes shepherds, uh, would just stay away from the general population of the Egyptians. Moses tells us in verse 2, and he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Joseph, or to Pharaoh, excuse me. So, counting Joseph, that's half of the sons of Jacob are now standing in the presence of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks them, what is your occupation? A wise question as this leader decides how these men are going to fit into his society. It's appropriate that those in uh, civil government would think before people settle uh, within the borders of their land, uh, how are they going to contribute 
to the population, to the good of this country. So in what way might these brothers of Joseph be productive and contribute to the common good of Egypt? That's going to be on the mind of Pharaoh, and it would be on the mind of any wise leader. Joseph's brothers reply with honesty, but just as Joseph has wisely counseled, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. By mentioning that their fathers were shepherds too, uh, their ancestors have been doing this for generation. Uh, they're making the point that this is a way of life that they know. They aren't just trying a new occupation during a time of economic crisis during this famine. They're desperate and they're looking for something new to do. Uh, it's not likely also that they're going to be skilled in other disciplines, in other ways of life. They can't easily make the change. Keep in mind, Joseph is the second youngest of all of his brothers, and he's almost 40 years old at this point. We all know this, the, the prospect of changing directions in life. When you're in your 20s, not such a big deal, right? Uh, uh, you have many educational opportunities ahead of you. That's not as intimidating. But the thought of changing careers in your 40s, or your 50s, or older than that, as many of Joseph's brothers are even older than that, that's pretty daunting. You're, you're probably uh, someone who's been concentrating on one set of skills for a long time. And of course, these men are saying, we've been herdsmen and shepherds our whole lives, and our fathers were, and their fathers were, and their fathers were. So uh, it's going to be pretty difficult for them to change a way of life now. Pharaoh wisely understands this, and so the brothers make the point that this is their skill set. They know how to tend flocks and herds. Moreover, Moses writes, and they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Their words bring up an interesting point. Moses never actually tells us directly what the cause of this famine was. But the fact that it is so widespread, and that uh, some historical sources that we've noted before uh, tell us that the Nile didn't flood for seven years, along with the words of Jacob's sons here, they have no pasture for their flocks in the land of Canaan, that strongly suggests that this was caused by a very widespread drought. That even the uh, monsoon rains, that, uh, the things that would feed the Nile from Central Africa and from Abyssinia, or what we now call Ethiopia, uh, that, that those are not even occurring. And just so you know, many young earth creationists surmise that there was an ice age uh, that followed the Great Flood and that the earth's climate then would have been uh, trying to regulate itself, as, you, as it were, over the next several centuries, and there would have been significant disruptions to weather patterns from time to time. I'm not saying that I know that that's what, was, what caused this here, but I just put it before you for your consideration. Uh, back to the text here, though. As Joseph has counseled his brothers, uh, they again emphasize that they are herdsmen, that they're shepherds, by mentioning their pasture lands again. As Joseph designed, Pharaoh tells them, oh, well, then you need to stay in the land of Goshen, which was exactly where Joseph wants them. He says, your father and your brothers have come to you. He's talking to Joseph. 
The land of Egypt is before you. So on one hand, he's saying you could have anything. Settle them anywhere you want. But I know I can see where they want to be settled. So he says, have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. So in other words, Joseph, I'm willing for your family to settle wherever you think they should go. Since you believe Goshen is good for them, since they're herdsmen and shepherds, let them stay there. In fact, if you think any of them are capable of it, make them the supervisors over my herdsmen and shepherds. So once again, we see the Lord blessing his people through even a heathen king. Pharaoh sees the advantage of having Joseph's brothers overseeing his flocks and herds. They're experienced herdsmen and shepherds, and so they'll probably do a good job with it. His livestock will be in safe hands, but it also might uh, spare a few Egyptians from doing a job that would make them essentially a social pariah in a time when, again, the shepherds were an abomination to Egyptians. Well, then we read, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It's only a few words, that short sentence, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. But it's incredibly significant. We could read past it so quickly. Hebrews 7, verse 7 says, Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better, or the greater. That is, the superior blesses the inferior. Not only does Jacob assume the superior position here in blessing Pharaoh, but Pharaoh accepts it. He doesn't object. Now, part of that could simply be that it's obvious that Jacob is old, and uh, Eastern societies tended to be very... uh, uh, they tended to take elderly state of people seriously. The older someone was, the more they should be respected and honored. Age often comes with wisdom, and that's often respected. But just it was, it's just a general part of many societies to respect those who are older. It's something that in many ways, many elements at least of Western society have lost that. We no longer rise up before the gray head that enters the room. But this would have been something that was normal for Pharaoh. But if there's anyone who doesn't have to rise up before the gray head, it would be the man who's basically considered a god in his own nation, Pharaoh. But he even accepts this superior position of Jacob. Again, probably because, at least in part, his age. It's reasonable to speculate that based on Pharaoh's uh, question, Jacob looks rather old. He said, well, how old are you? But he's also probably aware that Joseph was born when Jacob was already an old man. And furthermore, he can plainly see that Joseph, who's 39 or 40 now, uh, has 10 older brothers, and yet their father is still alive. So he asked Jacob, well, how old are you? You don't normally do that, even when somebody who you can obviously tell is significantly older than you walks in the room and and maybe says something wise that's helpful to you. You don't say, well, how old are you? (laughs) But you can see that Pharaoh is very curious about this, and for good reason. Jacob answers, the days of the years of my pilgrimage 
or 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. Well, notice several things. Jacob states that, as he explains that he is uh, 130 years old, for one thing, he says that this is obviously something that is not ordinary. Uh, this isn't something that's ordinary in Pharaoh's experience. We can see that from the context. In Genesis 11, when we uh, read the genealogy of, of Shem's line leading down to Abraham, we note that the ages at which men die tends to get younger and younger. And that trend must have happened uh, more rapidly among the rest of the human race. As we see after uh, the flood in particular, people's ages uh, decrease quite a bit, rather rapidly, and then after the Tower of Babel also. The curse for sin is taking greater and greater effect. We're not living as long as we used to. From what we can see in Egyptian king lists of the day and other evidence from ancient Egypt, living to 70 or 80 was fairly normal at this point, something we would consider normal. Uh, some might live into their 90s. Uh, by the way, if you ever hear people say that you know the average lifespan was uh, 33 years or 34 years in the Middle Ages or in ancient times or something, uh, those statistics are taking into account uh, the death of young children. How many, about half of uh, children born died in the first year or died in birth, and then about an, uh, another significant portion, about another quarter or a half of children didn't live to adulthood in many societies. So when you start counting that in, then the average lifespan is like 30. But that doesn't mean that, that people thought somebody who was 35 was ancient. Right? Uh, if you live to adulthood, you have still had statistically a pretty good chance of living to be about 60 or 70 or 80. Uh, so just depending on the circumstances of the particular uh, place you were living. Uh, so it wasn't like people looked at a 70-year-old and thought, how in the world? He's more than twice as old as, as any of the rest of us get to be. No, people live, that was normal uh, for people to live to be that old in ancient times if they didn't meet with some... Uh, tragic demise early in life. And we do have uh, records of some Egyptian pharaohs living into their 90s. A few centuries after this, or several centuries after this, Ramses II lived into his 90s. Uh, but no one was living to be 130. That's extraordinary. Second thing we note from Jacob's interchange here with Pharaoh is that Jacob calls these years of his life and of his father's a pilgrimage, or some of your translations might say a sojourn, the term that refers to dwelling temporarily in a land that doesn't actually belong to you, a place that is not your home. Now, on the one hand, Jacob recognizes that uh, promises that his family would possess the land of Canaan has not yet been realized. So he lived in the land without possessing it, even though his descendants would possess it. But he also recognizes what Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 says of Abraham, and what he recognized. By faith, he, it's talking about Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, 
For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he was not only waiting for his descendants to have that earthly land, but for something even better that he and all of God's people receive in the world to come. This world is not the home of God's people. God gives us graciously temporary homes in this world, but this is not our destination. Peter tells us this world is stored up for fire in 2 Peter 3.7, and then in verse 13 he writes, Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what Abraham was looking for. That's what Jacob was looking for. That's what you and I should be looking forward to. New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That new heaven and new earth is the home the Lord is preparing for his people. When Jesus said that he goes to prepare a place for us, that's what he's talking about. There's a place in his kingdom for us. And that whole world, that new world, will be the place where we get to dwell This world is not our home. If you are in Christ, this world is not your home. It's the land of our pilgrimage. It's the land of our sojourn. It's a place where we dwell temporarily. Our land of promise has yet to be revealed. The third thing we note from Jacob's words to Pharaoh is Jacob notes, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. The evil makes sense if we look at his history. While the Lord has definitely blessed him, and we'll note even a change in his attitude the next time we hear from him, uh, he's noting there's been evil in his life. He did not have an easy life, though the Lord has blessed him in many ways. Think of his, his earlier life, chased from the land by his own twin brother. Now, we might note he brought a little bit of that on himself, didn't he, through his treatment of his brother. Cheated repeatedly by his uncle, who also was his father-in-law. Troubled by rebellious sons. The loss and separation from Joseph for 22 years prior to that. The loss of his dear wife, the woman he labored for, for all those years to, to be And his uncle kept cheating him. Right? Part of that was his, his desire to be married to Rachel. And she was the first of his family to die. His life had plenty of evils. But we look at this and we think, yeah, sure, evil, but few? You're 130 years old, Jacob. I don't know anybody who's reached that age. I remember a lady that I knew who was 102. I think she made it maybe to about 104 before she passed. But I remember when they were having her 102nd birthday celebration and uh, and somebody said to her what a what an accomplishment you made it to 102 and she said all I did was not die <laughs> pretty easy <laughs> but here we don't know anybody who's uh, we know a few and there does seem to be an increasing number of people who make it beyond 100 but none of us has ever known somebody who's 130 years old You and I, like Pharaoh, find 130 to be anything but few. But, of course, it's all comparative. 
Jacob's looking at his immediate ancestors. This family line that's been a little more uh, preserved by God than the rest of mankind. His grandfather Abraham lived to be 175. His own father Isaac died at 180. 175 and 180 years. Jump back though to his great grandfather and he lived to be 205 years old. Terah the father of Abraham. Go back to the ancestor of their line, Shem, the son of Noah, and he lived into his 600s. So compared to that, Jacob's days are pretty few. And he's already noting, I'm already aged. I'm already uh, feeling old. The weight of my old age is already on me earlier than it was on my father and his father. In fact, he clearly thinks he could die any time. Remember his words in Genesis 45, 28. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. I, I, could go, I can make it to Egypt and I could die any time after that. In 46, 30, he said, when he saw Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. He expects, it seems, that he could pass away at any time. Now, he'll actually live another 17 years after this, which shows us how our expectations are not quite what God has planned for us quite often. But Moses tells us in verse 10 that Jacob blesses Pharaoh and leaves. Jacob's blessing, Pharaoh, teaches an important lesson about our dealings with the civil government. Even if we cannot support the choosing of a particularly ungodly or unbelieving leader, we can support the good policies of such leaders. And there's nothing hypocritical about doing that. You can still support the good policies of somebody you didn't vote for, for example. (laughs) If they rule justly, that's to be commended. It's to be encouraged. Jacob is not blessing uh, Pharaoh's paganism, and the things that would be wrong about Pharaoh's rule, but he does bless this particular man who has ruled wisely in many ways and has been kind to his family and has had a great relationship with his beloved son Joseph. Many commentators point out that Jacob's blessing actually bears some immediate fruit, which we'll see recorded in the following passage. Moses tells us in verses 11 and 12, Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number of their families. We might note that Moses refers to Goshen here, and particularly maybe a particular part of Goshen, as the land of Ramses. Uh, This is not a reference to any pharaoh by that name who would live centuries after the Exodus. Rather, it refers to the fact that the pharaohs who in Moses' day were reigning, uh, the ones that persecuted the Israelites, uh, made them work on building cities, fortifying cities, one of which was called Ramses in that region. Uh, Ramses just means drawn from Ra or born from Ra, the sun god, Uh, 
or gift of Ra. So there was a city there that was somehow dedicated to Ra, the Egyptian sun god, that the the Israelites of Moses' day had been working on. And so when Moses writes this, he's communicating to the Israelites of his day, that's where our fathers settled. He's telling them that same region where they had worked on building that city is the region where Jacob and his family first settled. But importantly, Moses' words in verse 12 shows another way in which Joseph prefigured Jesus Christ. In John 6, 27, Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the Father has set his seal on him. Prefiguring Christ, Joseph here provides bread for his people. John 6, 35 And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Joseph here, we see, prefigures the one who provides us the bread himself that keeps us from hungering and thirsting. That bread which endures to eternal life. From Jacob's words to Pharaoh, we are reminded that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims, we are sojourners, we are temporary dwellers here. There's plenty of good we can labor for while we're here, but don't get too attached, basically, is the message there. We have an eternal home to look forward to. Invest what is needful to live in the here and now, but be more concerned about investing in the place in which you will live forever. As long as you dwell here, support what is good in this world. That's another lesson also for, uh, from what uh, Jacob did here in relation to the civil government. Support and encourage whatever is good according to God's word. Be a blessing and not a curse to those who are in power. But fix your eyes on eternal things. and Look to Christ who provides for his people, giving the food which endures to eternal life. Well, let's pray. Lord, grant that our pilgrimage may be spent well, but keep our eyes fixed on the eternal home that you are preparing for us, especially upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. For we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth in which we will dwell with him forever as we pray in his name. Amen.